open Zoom. Indiana. Was that even recording? Where'd it go? I know this side of the pond in Canada. I know. <laughs> uh, Canada, the country we famously refer to as being across the pond. <laughs> I'm Olivia, and this is my master's thesis, but it is a podcast about pod- podcasts. Mm-hmm. As you know, if you've already listened to my first episode, I'm interested in learning more about some of the ideas and characteristics that define and shape podcasting. So I've been talking with a number of creators and listeners to try to better understand certain concepts. This episode is focusing on podcast storytelling, a bit more in the fiction realm. And I spoke with James D'Amato. Hello. Oh, oh, you've created an audio fort. Yes. Yeah, I, I have. As well as talking about creating and interacting with storytelling in podcast form, we also talk about parasocial relationships, pirates. And then James concludes with a reflection so beautiful and profound that every time I hear it or even think about it, my hand instinctively goes to my heart. But a bit about James. James is one of the creators of the One Shot Podcast Network. I do a podcast called One Shot, where we play many different tabletop role-playing games. A tabletop role-playing game being similar to Dungeons & Dragons, uh, usually played with a group of people sitting around a table and telling a story together using game mechanics like rolling dice to help influence that story and make it a little unpredictable and exciting. Dungeons & Dragons is just one example of a role-playing game. There are tens of thousands of different role-playing playing games out there and they span so many different genres and on one shot I put together a new cast of players uh, frequently and pick a new game and we sit down and we try to showcase it as best as possible. Each game is played over the course of anywhere between one to six hour long episodes. So I have been telling stories for the past six years in just a vastly different collection of genres uh, with different tones and different performers and casts. He also hosts a podcast called Campaign, where they do long-form storytelling. We play a role-playing game still, but we set it in a consistent world with consistent characters and sort of explore their evolving adventures and relationships. Their current story is about skyjacks, sky pirates up in their skyship. Okay, interview time. Let's go. Cover of Arnie Parrot Skyjack's theme. Broadly, to begin, I'm wondering if you think that podcasts are kind of starting to integrate and incorporate storytelling into people's lives in new ways or just different ways. If podcasting kind of facilitates this new way of engaging with in storytelling, or is it like a pre-existing way? I, I think it is a new form for something very old. Uh, I mean, storytelling in and of itself, you know, it is one of the first real human art forms, that oral tradition of sitting around and telling each other stories. Uh, podcasts are just a, a fascinating way of an enga- of engaging in conversation. Um, and, you know, when I talk about the podcasts that I do, which are all very narrative focused, uh, I usually compare them to radio plays, even though there are very few like younger folk, uh, today who have like a real context for what radio plays were, uh, Mm -hmm. like they are essentially the same thing. And there's a lot going on with a podcast. Uh, 
people talk about podcasts as a very intimate medium. Uh, it's one area where you see the word uh, parasocial pop up. And, and for those that might not be aware, a parasocial relationship is a social relationship or bond you form with someone that is one way. So if you're listening to a podcast, you create an emotional bond between yourself and the hosts of that show or, you know, whatever people are on that show. Uh, and you feel a social connection, even though they're just sort of speaking to the void and they don't have a real connection to you. Um, that's all part of conversation. Like when you, or really even human interaction, when you go out to see uh, somebody speak, uh, if you go out to see live music, if you go out, uh, like back in the old days when Mark Twain would would read uh, like live readings of his various short stories, uh, there was a connection being formed between the audience and the storyteller, even though that is spread out across hundreds and, and perhaps thousands of people for these live experiences. Everybody is experiencing some kind of social connection through that. And what podcasts have done is sort of democratize the tools to have a large conversation uh, where there are a couple people talking and, you know, potentially thousands of people, uh, you know, in some cases, tens or hundreds of thousands of people listening to that conversation. So I do think because this is kind of podcasting is in is really in its infancy, however, like storytelling, audio storytelling has been around for ages. You know, there have been radio plays for a very long time. There have been audiobooks for a very long time. What's making podcasts distinct is right now the tools to create that sort of content are extremely accessible. Uh, and mm -hmm. I don't mean universally accessible because obviously you need to ha have access to a computer and enough income to afford a microphone, but the amount of people that can do that uh, today is so much larger than it used to be even 20 years ago. Um, and the ability to then put that content onto a platform that people can easily access is is much easier too. So we're allowed to be a lot more inventive with it. Uh, one of the things that really appealed to me about podcasting when I first started out is that no one can tell you no. Um, a lot of the time, uh, I, I am a performer uh, with a lot of history and performance. I come from improv and, and stand-up, which are two types of performance where there are a lot of gatekeepers at various areas. If, if you want to get into stand-up and do stand-up, you have to know the person who is booking acts. And even if you want to do an open mic, when they're setting up that set list, they're probably going to stick you way at the back when there are very few people who will listen to your act. And uh, improv, you have to go through classes and establish relationships with theaters and theater managers. There are a lot of different barriers to entry uh, for mm -hmm. this. Some of them are financial. Some of them are social. Uh, but with podcasting, all I need are the tools to do it, and I can connect with an audience or at least access an audience with relative ease. You know, there are some podcast service that will even host your podcast for free. So you just need to record your audio and be able to export it as an MP3, and the software to do that is free uh, in order to make your show.
Um, so because of that, the way storytelling is being incorporated into this is kind of bold and new and interesting. Uh, there are people taking a lot of creative risks right now, uh, partially because they want to stand out, partially because that creative force has always been in them to like innovate and do something different. Uh, there are a lot of reasons that it's happening, uh, but because nobody's really betting a substantial amount of money on it, people are really free to swing for the fences. Yeah, so part of that appeal is really having control over the stories that you want to tell and whatever narratives that you want to construct. So is that something that you and your collaborators really like to use podcasting for as telling stories that you want to see told? Yes, uh, definitely. On campaign, we're doing it in a very engineered and uh, premeditated way. We, you know, sat down with each other and went, okay, because we're going to be doing this thing for perhaps several years, uh, let, let's choose something that we're really excited about and interested in and something that we think we can sustain our interest and an audience's interest for that long. Uh, so every kind of detail of the world is something that me or or the cast has thought about in a way of where's the longevity here? Where's the interest here? How much am I excited about this? How much do I care about this? And does it fit with everything that we've already established. On one shot, it's slightly different. Uh, a lot of the times, because I have a rotating cast on that show, I have evolving tastes and personalities. Um, I am also working with games that are engineered to produce stories from different genres and with different tones. So what we're doing there is a lot more freeform. It's not premeditated so much as we fall into a kind of groove together as we start the game and we maintain that until we close the story out. So that, I would say, one shot kind of primally pulls forth different things that compel the various casts that I put together about a certain genre or story type. Um, whereas campaign is an engineered thing that is built around the tastes of our cast and, you know, hopefully tastes that we think will connect with our audience. And podcasting in general, and specifically the, the work that you do, I think in a lot of ways revolves around that form of world building, whether it's in a long form way, like in campaign, or if it's in particular one shots. And I guess... I feel like, tell me if you disagree, but <laughs> podcasting um, facilitates new elements of world building, potentially just in terms of the worlds that you're able to create, but also on the other side, listening, incorporating it into your world, into your daily routine, like consuming stories in a way you might not be able to consume other forms of media. I also wonder if there's kind of that creation world building side but the listener world building side i you know i i think you are definitely onto something there um audio entertainment uh is really unique especially in this day and age because of how portable it is right uh so i can be listening to an audiobook as i go about my daily life so uh a lot of the times if you're a podcast listener 
the stories that you're listening to on your podcast is kind of the soundtrack of your life. It's informing what you think about and what you picture when you're washing the dishes, when you're walking your dog, uh, when you're on your commute. Um, I definitely think uh, because podcasts and, and things like audiobooks are accessible to us in these moments of mental downtime, like normally when our mind would be like freely wandering or, or some people would be reading. Like the fact that you can consume entertainment in such a passive form, I think does really contribute to the way you conduct your life. Like there are a lot of memories that I have uh, when I listen to a podcast or an audiobook, if I'm doing a re-listening of a podcast or I'm listening to an audiobook of the second time, where I remember the activity I was doing the first time that I heard that story. Uh, and that sticks with me. Um, and getting back to sort of the storytelling aspect of the production side of podcasts, like especially the way I do podcasts, but even with some scripted podcasts, uh, the thing about world building in these cases is there aren't really budgetary concerns that we have in terms of what we do in our world building. If you're doing a radio play, maybe there's some sound effect or Foley work that you're working with. But if you want to have an elephant show up in a scene, you can just say that an elephant is there and it's there. Uh, there's no like, oh, well, we can't really afford an elephant. We can't do the CG for that. Or like the paperwork we'd have to fill out to get an animal on set would be crazy. <laughs> uh, no, it's all there based on what you say. So the kind of limits-free world building that you see in a podcast is really only rivaled by novels uh, and, and, and story writing. Because again, you say a thing, you speak a thing into existence. Um but, you know, novels and, and a lot of storytelling, apart from fan fiction, is really, really restricted by uh, publishers and editors uh, who sort of clamp down on what's possible. The podcasts, again, don't have that production barrier to them. So uh, the world building that you can do uh, between people on a podcast is a lot more free and can be wildly, wildly inventive. And as we were talking about parasocial relationships before, I think the relationship an audience establishes between that material uh, and themselves like becomes much stronger. I have people come up to me all the time telling me that they have ideas or original characters uh, or plans uh, for something in the Skyjacks universe, mm. which, you know, we, we, we do position it as something that we hopefully will be able to make into a role-playing game. Uh, and the thing about role-playing games is there's a specific intent you have as a creator for the people engaging with your material to go out and make their own thing. But I see this in podcast narratives all the time, uh, e even unscripted shows like the Magnus Archives. You know, uh, there's so much fan fiction for that thing or or the Adventure Zone, which is a role playing thing. But, you know, th this is something that uh, has really opened itself up to having a creative base of people who are creating back at the show, even though they're kind of in a parasocial relationship with it. And the show isn't necessarily hearing them back. Mm -hmm. And in terms of RPGs, role-playing games, they almost kind of create 
a perfect formula of these kind of parasocial relationships that you're talking about in that you have those moments of people being candidly themselves and like coming out of the narrative and being like, haha, be movie or (laughs) (laughs) or um, talking about individual relationships between the collaborators that create your show while also going back to a narrative at the same time. So it's kind of this interesting blending of almost what I would believe fiction to be and nonfiction, which is kind of a cool formula in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something kind of very garage rock about it. The, the, the idea that uh, where we see role-playing game narrative sort of proliferating uh the idea of taking the experience that you have at a role-playing table and opening it up to third-party viewing so it can be experienced as an entertainment product uh the two big places where we see that happening are on live streams like twitch and youtube and through podcasting um, and I, I think it's because, again, the barrier to entry in those areas are so low that individual hobbyists uh, have a real opportunity to get their work out there alongside like polished professionals. Uh, you know, I, I Brian Posehn, who's a famous comedian, has been in all sorts of movies. He has uh, the show Nerd Poker uh, over on the Earwolf Network. Um And it's a popular show, but it's nothing compared to The Adventure Zone, which is, you know, made by three brothers out in West Virginia and their dad. Like when you compare those things, like the advantage of having studio quality equipment and a name that has been in film and on television, uh, that advantage doesn't carry you that far, actually. Um, And people are responding to the kind of genuine vulnerability of a production that's maybe not as polished. Um, And, you know, even when you look at something like Critical Role. Oral footnote. A podcast and web series where a bunch of voice actors play Dungeons and Dragons. There's Hollywood money behind that. Uh, It started, you know, as this very kind of rough and tumble thing and then getting picked up by Geek and Sundry. All of a sudden, I think it was Lionsgate. Uh, Mm. I might be wrong about that. Fact check. It was legendary entertainment that owned them, but like they had, uh, you know, film studio quality cameras on them, but they still kept that uh, sense of these are just people at a table. Um, and there's an authenticity to that. When, when you said combining fiction and nonfiction, it is as much about hearing the story that the people are generating as it is about listening to and watching them generate that story together. In podcasts like the, all the time you'll hear on The Adventure Zone or, or Campaign where players will complement the ideas uh, that other people at the table brought forward. You know, they'll clap and go, oh, yes, what a great idea. I love that. And so like you're there, like they are their own audience too, sort of looking in on what's happening. Uh, so yeah, the, the story is the story. It's the fiction that you hear. It's when people narrate or speak in character but kind of the story is also about the people telling the story and like the different personalities at that table Mm -hmm. 
it showcases that collective storytelling in such a beautiful way, as you're saying, kind of when you see people react in real time or real time as you're listening to the podcast, people hearing each character's decisions, you're like, oh, I love that. Or noticing how all the different pieces do fit together. Like we know that Casey Tony edits the campaign <laughs> podcast. We know that Arnie Parrott makes the music and it's cool because the listeners are kind of able to attribute all the different pieces that comprise a whole, but it's not a whole that doesn't acknowledge all the individual contributions, which is kind of a beautiful thing that can happen in that context. Yeah, when you look at something like a television program or a film, uh, what they are doing in their presentation often is trying to reduce as much as possible the individual fingerprints of the people who contributed to that project. You know, every movie uh, these days, especially large Hollywood films, thousands of people will have done small things to influence that movie and help make it. But the art is presented as just the art. The story is just the story. Uh, they're not like showing you the people holding the cameras or whatnot um, because that's, uh, you know, part of their presentational appeal or at least the stylistic mode that they've developed uh, in a lot of film. Um, and, you know, we there are some notable films that uh, sort of, sh you know, peel back that curtain and, and show those seams a little bit uh, because they're challenging that uh, larger I guess, trend or style. Um, whereas this form of entertainment is very much about uh, showcasing as much as possible, or at least the way we use it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Casey Tony, as an editor uh, for our podcast, has such a definite voice, um, and you can hear it in the episodes. Uh, however, if you jump over to another program uh like hello from the magic tavern oral footnote a comedy fiction podcast about a guy who fell through a dimensional rift behind a burger king ended up in a magical land and is now chilling in a tavern with his otherworldly buds there are about three or four editors who work on that show um and they're all editing in the same style and i would call it a seamless style it is a style where they're not winking at the camera letting you know that oh this week it's Ryan DeGiorgi versus Chris Rathjen um they're they're more in the tra traditional style but with all of this because a lot of it is uh work that shows uh, the brush strokes, um, we get the opportunity to allow every individual voice that lent something to this podcast to really own itself and, and flourish. Mm -hmm. And in that collective storytelling vein and through whether in the podcast, like acknowledging everyone's particular contributions, I also kind of wonder if it's this cool way of I don't want to say real time, but really long form storytelling as in it's not just I produced 10 episodes of a podcast and then I release them and they're all done and I'm just releasing them over a period of time. But it's long form mm -hmm. story, whereas with Skyjacks, but then also with one shot, even though they're individual things there, it's in a very continuous way, like you're releasing it once a week. I almost wonder, does it make 
people feel like they and the listeners almost feel like they're witnessing or almost a part of the collective storytelling because it's that continuing basis. So I will say that it's very conversational, even completely internally, like uh, with something like campaign, we're usually about three to four episodes ahead in terms of what we've recorded versus what's getting released. And, you know, sometimes we, we try and work to make that buffer even larger uh, so that we can go on vacation and things like that. Yeah. But uh, we're, we're far ahead in terms of what's happening in the show. But it's still like when you compare it to something like a television program, uh, it's so much closer together, like wildly closer together of when you did the performance versus when you can review and experience the performance again. So my players can listen to episodes that have just come out and they can be influenced by themselves and influenced by the story that just happened and have that at top of mind as we continue to press into the future. Um, and this is where it gets interactive and a little hairy because uh, at the same time, our audience is listening too, and they are tweeting about things that they are excited about. Uh, you know, they'll put forth uh, ideas and theories, which we as the cast have to avoid uh, oftentimes because we we don't want to inadvertently steal somebody's ideas. Like that's you know, we're kind of a low to the ground medium, but like at this point, one shot is my primary source of income and everybody on the network would really, really love it if we could grow what we're doing uh, and make more money so that, you know, we can pay more people full time and offer benefits and, and stuff like that. So, you know, there is the concern of like, well, we don't want to put ourselves in any legal trouble. Um, so I won't go as far as to say that, yeah, the fans help uh, build the show with their ideas and whatnot, but reacting to people's excitement is something that influences us and influences us in a non-specific way. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than dropping an idea on the table, you know, when people get uh, very excited about uh, Gable and Travis interacting, um, you know, that allows Johnny and Liz as performers to, you know, play with that excitement a little bit uh, and create scenes that are fun to listen to for the people who are invested in different forms of that relationship. Mm -hmm. And I, I've talked to a couple other podcasters here in Canada. And one of the things I mentioned that I have are what I like to call podcast friends. And I almost want to <laughs> know if you have those in your listening as well. Like there are a few group chats that I'm a part of or that I know that exist in my friend group when an episode of Skyjacks comes out, it's everyone's responding in the chat. They're like, oh, this part. Did you hear this? I, I loved <laughs> this. And it's like this cool way of also furthering engagement with the story. I mean, that's not on Twitter. So obviously that's not something public that people can see, but the fans feel like they're more a part of it as you continue your methods of engagement in different places. So this is a very specific type of strategy that I think podcasts ab absolutely need in order to grow. Uh, most podcasts grow by word of mouth. Uh, there are shows that try to advertise traditionally uh, and use traditional means uh, to become successful. Uh, and I think 
and almost hope uh, that there is success with that. But in podcasting, mostly the solution isn't pour money onto a thing to make it big and popular in the way it is with television and movies. Uh, For podcasts, so much of the experience is a personalized experience. And the secondary part of that are the sorts of social conversations that you're talking about. Uh, You know, what they used to refer to in television as water cooler chats. You know, Mm -hmm. it is something about this story I need to talk to somebody about it. And so you you form friendships around that and indulge in talking about things that just happened on the show. Uh, for a lot of podcasts and, you know, one shot, uh, we, we don't have the money to employ a community manager. But part of my job is going into what few public spaces exist and trying to help people who enjoy the show connect with each other about doing that because your show if people are excited about your show you're you're doing good and you're you're probably going to grow but the thing that you really really need to have a successful show is for people who listen to your show to form friendships around it because a friendship is this beautiful, strong bond that has a wildly positive impact on somebody's life. And if your show helped something like that form, then you become really important to the people uh, that you know created that friendship. Um, and you know, maybe if you are really important to somebody in that foundational way, they'll give you five dollars. Uh, so. <laughs> It's it's really tremendously important that these conversations be happening. So when I am on Twitter or Tumblr or, you know, even in our discords, wherever, and I see people talking about Skyjacks, I try to retweet, reblog, highlight things that people are saying so that they can engage with each other about it because that is an important way for us to grow what we're doing uh, as storytellers. Mm-hmm. One of the things I feel like I love about podcasting is you have that individual connection with whatever content that you're listening to as an individual person, because I know people probably lean towards listening to podcasts on their own. So in that way, you have this really individualized experience with it, but then also you're able to then go out and then share this experience with your friends, strangers on the internet. And it's kind of like a cool, weird globalization thing of I'm listening to you in Chicago when the podcasts are happening. I'll take that out. Bleep. No one knows where James lives. Um. No, I, I'm very publicly, I live in Chicago. So, and, and Chicago kind of has its own interesting narrative podcast scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it might be an important reference point. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, wh- one of the things that is interesting about this medium is it's intimate. Um, you know, it's somebody's voice in your ear. Um, and also you spend a lot of time with it and a lot of time that would otherwise be lonely time. So in a lot of cases that leaves you with feelings uh, and emotions that you want to share and express, but because it's intimate, you you don't as much. Uh, you know, compare it to kissing someone that you like. Let's say you and your crush kissed. That 
means so much to you. It, it like really overwhelms you with these wild emotions. But at the end of the day, like you can tell your friends, I kissed my crush and they might congratulate you. But the profound emotional impact that moment had on you is nowhere near like your ability to, to share it. Uh, and you know, TV and movies, that's stuff that we uh, consume socially all the time. So uh, you have a easier release if you want to talk about Breaking Bad because you just watched, you know, some old episodes of Breaking Bad on Netflix. It's it's very easy. If you want to talk about it, a podcast, like that's a lot harder to to get that kind of release, uh, which is why, you know, there are these very intense fan communities and it feels like entertainment that you're so much closer to. Even with something like uh, Campaign, which you know we're doing well, uh, certainly uh, it is my full-time job, but we're nowhere near pulling the numbers of like the Adventure Zone or really any McElroy product. So uh, you are extremely close to me as a creator because you're part of a sm- an audience of a couple thousand, really. Uh, and with a McElroy product, uh, you are part of like a larger ocean of upwards of 100,000 people, uh, but you still feel very close to it because of the way you consume it and the way that you talk about it. Everything about sharing the experience of listening to a McElroy podcast feels very specialized. It's like being part of a cool club uh, that you know about. And that's how it is across a lot of different podcasts. So, Oral footnote. If you're interested in this train of thought, we're going to be focusing on it in the episode I recorded with Justin McElroy and the episode with listeners of McElroy shows, really exploring that companionship community thing that can come when listening to podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I 100% agree about the way uh, podcasts are consumed, the way they are experienced. That affects how the audience engages with that storytelling, uh, which in turn cycles back and affects how the storytellers create and progress their stories. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the things I think we kind of alluded to this a bit earlier, but I think I've heard you talk about using the stories you tell as a way to educate also, whether kind of directly or indirectly or facilitate discussion. Like I know some of the, I've heard you talk about some of the work that you've done in trying to create the campaign world as like a non-colonial based story. And I also know in Courier's Call, another podcast on the One Shot Network and in the Skyjacks universe. In one of your introductions to the show, it's talking Mm -hmm. about themes of parental non-acceptance and acceptance and non-binary representation, like kind of from the get-go. So in using and telling these stories, do you envision them as ways to directly or indirectly educate people in some ways. Yes. Um, I am hesitant to say educate uh, mm-hmm. because that implies expertise on my part. Uh, what I will say is all storytelling is communication. And on some level, all forms of communication are a form of storytelling. That is why a very compelling speaker who is telling you lies sometimes outshines a not compelling speaker who is telling you the truth. Uh, Because 
even if you're just talking about facts, it's storytelling. So what I try to be conscious of in what I create uh, in terms of my narrative shows is what am I communicating with the audience? Um, and so for Skyjacks, one of the things that we decided to do, one of the challenges that we decided to take on at the outset of the program was to create an anti-colonial narrative. Um, for those who aren't super up on uh, colonialism and, and colonization, like the ideas that sort of uh, came out of Europe in moving over the world and supplanting cultures and, and taking resources and funneling them back to Europe, we've created this incredibly Eurocentric world that erases different cultural viewpoints. And in a lot of our storytelling, even unintentionally, we come away with these uh, stories and themes of the way we conduct our lives that's like really toxic if you look at it from far away enough. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is actually a super great example of this. Uh, in D&D, &D, you play as adventurers in a world full of monsters and the main like gameplay loop is that you as adventurers go out into a dangerous world, you encounter dangers, you overcome them, retrieve rewards, and those rewards make you stronger and able uh, to take on larger dangers. So essentially what you do in D&D &D is recreate colonialism. Uh, you go somewhere, you kill whatever is there, and you take its resources to enrich yourself. Um, it's wild when you think about like <laughs> the D&D &D stories that you play are like very silly and fun. We're going to go out and fight a dragon, but yeah. it's not at all different from like some of the most horrific crimes committed in human history. Mm -hmm. So uh, with role-playing games, like something very near and dear to my heart that I think are tremendous engines for helping people cultivate empathy towards one another, I wanted to be very conscious in creating entertainment around it. Like, okay, if I'm going to start a brand new big story that, that I hope goes you know far and, and, and does interesting things, I want to be communicating a, a positive message or at least a message that is more positive uh, than some messages that have gone out thus far. So I, as, you know, a, a white colonizer, like kind of have to think about like, okay, what privileges do I have? What negative impacts does like society that benefits me has that had on the world and whatnot? And try and create a narrative structure for myself that undermines some of those toxic structures and helps people envision themselves in a world where they're not restricted by kind of these repetitious, uh, oppressive themes. Uh, you know, and as a white colonizer, there's a chance that I'm not going to really hit the mark on that. Uh, you know, I, I fully expect that we could look back at my work in, in 20 and 30 years after I've completed it. And hopefully, uh, wiser children will be able to point to like, well, this is where they could have done better. This is where they could have done better. And this is where they could have done better. But if people, uh, connect with my stories and grow up with those stories, I can hopefully inspire some awareness of those toxic structures in our culture, demonstrating it through story. Uh, and also like 
giving people the relief they need to survive those institutions and, you know, hopefully bolster the courage they need to overcome those institutions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it is a form of communication. What we're doing on Skyjacks is not going to solve a problem, uh, but people live through stories. They communicate through stories. So sometimes they need stories to help nudge them in more positive directions. Mm -hmm. Last footnote. I swear. It's worth noting that stories in all forms and mediums can impact people in terms of how they live their lives and approach the world. But I think it's particularly interesting in podcasting then because when you think about it in conjunction with all of the other staples of the podcasting form, it's intimacy, the incorporation of it into your routine, then there's a possibility that you internalize the stories and the messages being communicated through stories more or in a different way than you would a story in another form. Maybe. Just a thought. End of footnote. And ideally, the bleed of your world building into the world building of now and kind of creating an element of a world that you would like to see reflected in perhaps not um, pirates, but... <laughs> but in other elements kind of creating hey, you know those. whatever tools we have to use to do it if we gotta yeah. be pirates and you know bring piracy back in a big way let's do it i'm okay with pirates that i can get behind <laughs> i want to fly i want to fly yeah. in a skyship that's the world that i would like to envision <laughs> pirates were extremely democratic so you know that's true only for that <laughs> and i guess so podcasting as one of your preferred venues for storytelling then perhaps is it because you have that as you kind of talked about and alluded to that leeway to construct whatever narrative you would like to bring into the world and then you have the capability of it being projected to other people or are there other kind of reasons why podcasting as a method of storytelling is something that you kind of gravitate towards this is a really interesting question. Um, I, I'll start with saying I, I think that role-playing games are my preferred creative medium. Uh, like some painters might prefer oil paints. I prefer role-playing games for expressing myself uh, because of the sort of instant gratification for performance. Uh, as somebody with attention deficit disorder and dyslexia, I am at times daunted by more uh, logistically... Uh, rich art forms. Something like producing a short film. The amount of hours it takes to tell a small story uh, by producing a short film is unbelievable. A shoot uh, for like 15 minutes could be as long as like eight hours, you know? It, there's just a lot that goes into it. And that's just the shoot. After that, you've got the editing. And before that, you have to set up and strike everything. Like there's so much that goes into film. Uh, but the time to content ratio uh, for a role-playing game is, you know, very, very close. Uh, and it's enriching me and nourishing me that whole time. Um, so podcasting as a medium is something that absolutely allows me very, very closely uh, to 
export the experience that I get from role-playing games because I, I don't really have to touch it. However, you know, if tomorrow somebody approached me and was like, we want to make a, a television show or a movie, I don't know how you would put the story into a movie, or like an animated series about Skyjacks, I would definitely say yes, you know, because I, I think the story could do that. Um, there are, I, you know, the, I kind of want to try and write a novel in the world of Skyjacks too. Uh, so I definitely get enrichment from storytelling in the universe that I created in a podcast medium and, and making transmedia things, like taking it from one place and doing it another. But I think there's something important about the freedom that podcast allows you uh, that empowered me to do that in the first place. If you were to tell me, even if I had the help of my friends to write a novel, make Skyjacks by, by writing it as a novel, I don't think it would come as easily or joyously as it does uh, through recording a podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's rooted in that community and collective storytelling element too. So. Yeah, I mean, if we were to make Skyjacks an animated series, take what we have so far and translate it into animation, it would look wildly different uh, from what we're doing right now. Like, I, I imagine if you were to present Skyjacks as a TV show or something, the player narrative, the relationship that Johnny, Liz, Tyler and I have at that table would be stripped away. Uh, it wouldn't be an element of that story anymore. And you would look at different things in the story uh, in a different way. Like there is a moment in within the first nine episodes of Skyjacks where it's revealed that Gable is an angel uh, that has fallen. And we do this by... Uh, showing the audience uh, through narration a shot of Gable uh, from the back with their uh, shirt cut. So we can see the scars where Gable's wings used to be. Uh, and we spent a good 30 seconds of narration really just drinking in that moment. Uh, but if it were on a TV show, you know, that's like a couple seconds. So different areas of the story would be emphasized and highlighted. Uh, the rhythm of everything would be different. Uh, it could still be significant, but it would absolutely be changed. Mm -hmm. And you can sit in it a little more sometimes with podcasting. And then when the music comes in and you're left with that kind of image that you've described, it's like, dang. <laughs> yeah. There are so many interesting creative choices that you can make um, because podcasting very naturally offers offers a form of storytelling that other formats really don't do as well. Mm -hmm. That that combining of the fiction and I feel like people really do latch on to those nonfiction candid moments because it's those are the ways in which people kind of further cultivate those parasocial relationships or even like through talking to you right now it's gone through a place where your podcasts have a specific role in my life or I listen to it at a specific time of day or when I want to go to that element of like familiarity and it's like wild <laughs> that I'm talking to you right now yeah it's like, no uh because it you're a real person uh, yeah exactly in in a lot of ways the majority 
of human beings who have interacted with me at this point interact with me as kind of a cartoon character where I present a character to the world and that's you know, what people absorb of me, uh, kind of like, uh, how do I want to frame this? Um, Gilbert Godfrey uses a voice. Like that's not his real voice. That's the character that he puts on. Um, so there is a layer beneath, uh, what I, present so most most people as they experience me they experience me just as the storyteller who you know sometimes my friends give me a hard time uh and sometimes i i pull off a bit of cool narration sometimes i'm making just a very very silly joke mm-hmm. um but when they uh <laughs> my, my friend pat uh when we first i think the first three times that we saw each other in person pat had like I, I met him doing a podcast with him and then uh, we got to interact in person like a couple times. And the first times that we were in person, he's like, it's so disorienting to hear your voice come out of a human mouth. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, because that voice meant something very differently to you because it was just an echoing voice over a microphone to start. And then you started listening to the podcasts. So all you're getting is like this very extremely presentational uh, vision of self, even if that is so much closer than what my stage persona would be if I was a stand-up comedian or if I was the star of a sitcom or something like that. Like, yeah, it is It is a wild thing where podcasts are very raw and very real, um, but they're also still just like a snippet and they're not interactable, even though it feels very much like they are. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it's true. I mean, that's a good point because people think about how they feel like they know a person and almost to a greater extent than maybe other forms of art or media allow. But it is still an image at at the end of the day. It is edited. It's very interesting. Um, One thing I think about when I think about podcasts a lot is that because I'm putting out two weekly shows People have my voice in their ears for two hours a week sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that means for a certain subset of people, they hear me and listen to me more than they do some members of their family, which is wild to think about. (laughs) But like, yeah, if you're somebody who calls your parents and maybe talks like once a week uh, and you listen to both my shows you're hearing me more than you're hearing your mom and dad. And that's fucking wild. <laughs> is it, Does that feel weird? Like, is it cool or is it just something that you're like, I'm not going to think about this right now because if I think about all the ways in which <laughs> it's kind of stressful. But. That, that's a, it could be a very deep rabbit hole of thought for sure mm-hmm. um, that, you know, maybe I, I, I wouldn't want to dive into, though practically as a person with different types of social anxiety, it's actually really great because usually when I'm doing a public event, people will come up to me and they know who I am. So I don't have to explain myself to them. Uh, so we can fall into an easy conversation uh you know, pretty naturally. I just ask them like, oh, you listen to my shows? Okay, what what kind of role-playing games are you into? Uh, 
it makes it so very easy to talk to new people when they know a lot about me, when they have literally hundreds of hours of experience. And I am probably on an unusual end of the bell curve with that. I, I, I've definitely spoken to other podcasters that have been a little off put or, or disoriented by the fact that uh, people are, you know, 10 steps ahead of them in a conversation where they're just meeting them. But for me, it just makes interaction very, very easy. Oh, uh, that's it's it's nice. easy to pick up new friends <laughs> that way. Just erasing a level of awkwardness that perhaps would be there otherwise, which is kind of nice. To broaden back out a bit, as we conclude-ish, I guess I'm kind of wondering if there are certain things in podcasting, whether the specific work that you're doing or in general as you see developments in the medium of things that you're excited about or things that you would like to see more of, either things that are happening now or in the future you'd like to be, I like to see more of X or... I think it's going in this particular direction, which is cool. I wish there were more opportunities to monetize podcasts. They do take a lot of investment when you hit a certain professional level with them. And the advent of like crowdfunding and uh, sort of direct access crowdfunding like Patreon has been tremendous. Oh my goodness. What, what a game changer for podcasts. But you know, right now, Hollywood just barely understands the storytelling potential in podcasts, things like that, like traditional entertainment sources don't really get it. Um, and the few forays they've had into it, I, I think they've found less success than maybe they would have wanted. Um, as somebody who is currently developing intellectual property through podcasting, I would love, you know, once I'm done with Skyjacks to be able to take what we produced and translate it to a new form of media so that we can profit off that story in a way that is substantially different uh, than podcasting. So like right now with the COVID crisis, there is a non-zero chance that in the next few months, our Patreon is going to drop because our audience has lost work and you know, they'll just reach a point where, hey, that $5 a month is something that I desperately need because I can't work my job right now. And I get it. Uh, but that's a lot of financial instability on my part that sort of will impact my work. So I, I would like there to be a way to really live as an artist uh, more stably through podcasts. And, you know, that that might simply be just a more understandable pathway from taking your podcast, a, a medium that, you know, still really isn't easy to monetize and moving whatever intellectual property you developed there to another medium, just like making that path a little bit more efficient and smoother would be great. Because like that means, you know, famous podcasters will have access to things like health insurance and and housing and food and things that you need to exist as people, uh, which would be great. Like Casey Tony, he is one of the most talented audio editors uh, out there, especially for a podcast medium. People will listen to a show that Casey has edited and they'll be able to tell that he's edited it even without a credit. That's wild. What a beautiful artistic voice. We pay him freelance rates. We pay him as, as much as I can afford to pay him personally. 
but he works a lot and he's got carpal tunnel syndrome. Like it takes a physical toll on his body. So having this medium kind of mature to the point where there are structures that other more mature mediums have, like, you know, SAG has access to health insurance if you're part of the Screen Actors Guild. Like there really needs to be something like that for podcasting just so we're not kind of artists throwing ourselves against the rocks and like throwing caution to the wind every time we do anything. So that really, really needs to change. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, like podcasting is just kind of a really exciting place. I grew up uh, listening to old audio dramas uh, for when I was seven through 10, I listened to old tapes of the Green Hornet audio drama, and I just loved that show so, so much. And I really love audiobooks and the way storytelling is presented in those, and podcasts are just the wild west of that type of storytelling, and that is so tremendously exciting to me. The sky is the limit with, with them. And there are so many different aspects of, I, I because I'm such a heavy RPG nerd and I'm also a game designer, I think of the elements that go into a certain thing as game mechanics, game components. Uh, the parasocial relationship uh, between a listener and the podcast is its own game mechanic. And I think we're going to see storytelling that exploits that game mechanic uh, in ways that are new and interesting to produce stories that are really, truly compelling. Um, there's just so much to this because it's brand new and because there hasn't been a ton of money poured into it yet. Uh, there are no boundaries right now. It's just really great. There's um, an article that I really like that I'm ending off with a quote in every interview I do to see how people interpret this quote a little differently. It's mm. um, an article by a journalist named Jonah Weiner. It was published in Slate in 2014. I really do not know what the title is because it has so many different titles in every web page. But... <laughs> I, I really don't, but I know... Yeah, that internet, huh? <laughs> yeah, 2014, just not cohesive, sloppy year, I guess, but its subheading is towards a critical theory of podcasting, which I love. And at one point in the article, he says, podcast serves to, quote, make ourselves feel oriented. So he means it in a specific way, but I feel like taken out of context it can be true in a number of ways. So I guess, how would you kind of interpret or feel as though podcasts serve to make ourselves feel oriented in some way, whether it's like physically or metaphysically? This is fascinating. I, I think there are a lot of different ways. Like physically, I could very see, I could very well see like podcasts or something, uh, a, a form of entertainment that you can easily incorporate into your routine. Um, and, you know, I associate the trains in Chicago with some of the greatest stories that I've heard in my life simply because 
I listen to podcasts on those trains. Uh, so there's an element of that, but I think what resonates with me more is because podcasts as an entertainment medium are so broad and unchecked there. I, I say often that there is out there somewhere on the vast spools of podcast feed uh, that are untamed and wild things. There is a podcast that feels so perfectly and intimately designed for you and just you that listening to it for the first time will be like falling in love uh, because podcasts are a type of entertainment that are really based around individual experience and individual choice. You opt into them and, you know, sometimes they are precious and secret things that you don't talk to other people about. I think it is a way, it's like a fun house mirror of different reflections of your soul. Like looking at different podcasts and hearing different podcasts, you orient yourself by going out and finding the stories that are built just for you. And that's that's simply because your choices are near infinite. There are more podcasts right now on this planet than any human being could ever listen to in their lifetime. In fact, more than many generations of human beings could listen to if they were all working together. <laughs> and that is a lovely thing. Chef's kiss. <laughs> James, that was beautiful. And thank you so much for doing Olivia, this. Thank you. Oh thank my you gosh. for doing this. Yay. We've done it. Thank you so much to James for taking the time to talk with me. It was incredible and so much fun. And thank you for listening. I also want to quickly say, you heard us talking about how RPGs are particularly interesting in podcast form. And I wonder if a lot more people are becoming acquainted with this type of storytelling because of podcasts and because podcasts are able to showcase them so well. I mean, that's exactly how I became acquainted with them and started playing. Maybe it's an indication that podcasts are a great tool for learning by witnessing other people's doing. A good low stakes, high reward way of learning and being exposed to new things in an in-depth and fun way. But that's enough thoughts for one episode. That's that's the end of this one. With the power of the internet. Yeah. <laughs>